would be your speculation for what you're seeing? An alien spacecraft. All Things Unexplained. Hosted by Dr. Mounts. Let's face it, we were always ready to roll without him anyway. <laughs> CJ Derringer. Ain't nobody perfect, right? And Smitty Neves. I've never planned out hardly anything my whole life. I just free ball. Featuring Cajun Man. I'm just old nobody, somebody looking for somebody. cold Thursday night in Flora, Mississippi, February 10th, 1977. Over a dozen law enforcement officers witnessed something they cannot explain. Some of the names in this show are publicly available. However, per the request of Mr. Billy, the subject of this episode, we will not mention any of their names. Mr. Billy was just one of the law enforcement officers there that night. This was not Mr. Billy's first encounter with the unexplained in Florida, Mississippi. Approximately 20 years earlier, he encountered UFOs for the first time. Well, the first sighting I saw was I was driving along and I looked over to my right, it was dark, and I, I saw a, a bright object over there that was changing colors from a red to orange, green to blue. And, uh, I got to look and I said, that's not the moon. And I got to watching it and I didn't go very far and it, all of a sudden it was stationary and all of a sudden it shot to the southwest at about a 45 degree angle, just like a tracer out of a rifle barrel. And I don't know how far it went, but it wasn't but just two or three seconds it stopped dead still again. It's, and I could see the colors it was changing. The red, orange, green, blue colors. Throughout the years, Mr. Billy had several encounters with UFOs. He had always kept this to himself until one night. I saw it several times. I would never tell nobody because I couldn't show him when I knew, you know, <laughs> it's like seeing a bear across the road. Everybody would say, yeah, 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 now we know we got him. But I wouldn't tell nobody until one night I got to the little restaurant down here where I was headed and it was still up in the sky. There was five people in there. And I called them out and said, I'm gonna show y'all something and I showed it to them. That's the first time I mentioned seeing it. Come to find out the two people, the two ladies that owned the restaurant, after they hadn't said anything about it, they had lived out here west of Florida on 22 on the way to Vicksburg. And they had had an encounter with it where it came over their car and, and knocked the motor out. It scared them so bad, they bought a house here in town on 3rd Street and moved from out there to Florida. Almost four years earlier, October 11, 1973, 200 miles away on the coastal town of Pascagoula, Mississippi, Charles Hickson and Calvin Parker were abducted by aliens. 
They went on to report this encounter to the police. It has become one of the most infamous cases in all of ufology. My father-in-law was sheriff in the county just above him, and he knew sheriff. He was a sheriff there and passed through it. And uh, I got an insight of what the sheriff told him. He said what they saw was real. He said they put him in a room when they got there. They were, they were, he said they were just all the pieces. And he said they put them in a room, you know, with one of the viewing windows. And left them in there like they do a lot of suspects. And they got in the viewing one. And he said they was crying and moaning and getting down and praying. The younger boy, I think it completely changed him. I don't think it affected the older one. I see that that, I believe his name was Parker, one of them, the older ones. I, I used to see him come on and, and they would talk. <laughs> they would interview him again and he, he told the same story. Flora, Mississippi, four years later. Well, before I got there, I, well, I got there, it was a deputy off-duty city policeman and his friend was in their truck and they drove out across the cotton field to it, to get to it, started to it. It started backing away from them and went back over the trees. And when they come back, it came back. The Debbie and the constable was in a patrol car and they were going west on Cox Ferry Road. And they were going out to get a bell of hay from his uh, dead-in-law, which is about a mile and a half this side of the siding. And they saw this flight coming down. They thought it was an airplane crashing. So they went on around the road there for the mile level, how far it was. And when they got there, it was dark. And the thing was hovering below the tree line. You, you know how you, at night you can see the tree line and see the light above it. It was hovering above the tree line. So when I got there, he had got on the radio and called, and it was, at the time, probably 20, at least 20 law enforcement officers there. And when I got there, and what happened when he saw it on the tree line, he, they thought then it was a helicopter. So it was about 400 yards across the cotton field to where it was hovering. And he told, he, the possible was riding shotgun, and he let the window down, and he said, cut your engine off, I can't hear anything. So he cut his engine off, and he still couldn't hear anything. So he took his flashlight and just turned and shined it toward it. And when it did, the thing just loomed right over the top of the car. At this point, the deputy decided they needed some more help. It was time to go pick up Mr. Billy. The deputy looked out and looked up, and it was it was hovering directly above him. And he said all he could see was a looked like a red flame or something in the center of the thing. And it scared him so bad, he didn't go forward. He went backwards and turned around and took off back toward the floor. And he got on his radio and said, anybody, anybody listening, look west of the floor and see if you can see a light in the sky. Well, it was, it was a highway patrolman and a, everybody on the radio heard him. That's when they all started out there. I was at home on my couch with my family. It was approximately 9.30 that night. I forget what day it was. 
and there's a loud knocking on my door, and I went to it to open the door, and there stood the deputy sheriff, and I knew very well, and his eyes were not as thick as possible. And he said, Billy, get your camera, that thing you've been telling us about is out here. And I got my camera, got my car. I was a reserve deputy here at the time, and I had a radio in the car, and I got in the car and followed him. He, would, he wouldn't go back out there. He stopped about a mile and a half, two miles this side of it, and that's as far as he'd go. It had shook him. It was around 20 feet. When I got there, there was about 20 law enforcement officers. They all, there was highway patrol, it was the city police, it was two constables, one of them from Canton, and the deputy sheriff, and then our constable here, is about 20, and then about five or six more came after that. But we was, we was approximately 400 yards from it across the cotton field. And it looked to me like it, now this is, I didn't put no measure enough knowing this is looking like it was between 20 and 30, 40 feet wide. Right, right at the center of it where the portholes was. And it looked like it was uh, 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 probably 20 feet longer or higher than it was wide. So it was a pretty good sized craft. So when I got there, the thing was covering about, I don't know, 15, 20 feet off the ground, or maybe closer. And it was it was metallic blue, and right around the center of it, it had a row of, they wasn't close together, they was probably several feet apart, a row of portholes that looked like in a ship. And they was a light, you could see it was lit up in there. And the thing was, as I said, metallic blue, and it, it was like you took two old plantation bales, the shape of it, and put them together with a big end and with a little end. It was big in the center, and it kind of tapered down on each end. And it was sitting there, and it was, it was kind of swinging like a pendulum, barely moving back and forth, just like a pendulum with the pendulum does in a clock. And we sat there and watched it for... I don't know, 30, 40 minutes. Anybody that sees this will know it's not a craft that we own. So then when it started drifting away, no noise, it just started rising very slowly going to the uh, northwest. And it went up over the trees and it was gradually ascending. And the city policeman here and his partner they took off around the road and crossed the creek. It was boat to the creek. They crossed the creek and turned down the road there to the right. It was a gravel road. They went down there, and in a minute, they got on the radio and said, y'all, come on around here. It's here, over here. So we all went around there. By then, it had gotten up for several hundred feet high, and it was gradually going to the northwest. Flora wasn't the only small town in Mississippi experiencing bizarre events. The same night, the same, uh, I don't say it's the same object, but there's a lot of people in Belladonna, which is 60 miles north of here. They spotted it. I spotted something. It was similar to what we saw. About the same time, I don't remember when, Mississippi chemical plant at Yazoo City got knocked off. They uh, got knocked down completely. The policeman I talked to, I went up there 
the policemen I talked to, it was two of them, they was at the airport checking the security of the airport, and they saw the two of them come over and go toward the chemical plant. And they called the patrolman that was on duty or on patrol over there, and he saw them go, and the things hovered right over the electrical power grid that supplies the plant. And then a minute, the whole plant went black. It was a locomotive sitting there, a diesel locomotive that was switching the cars that they hauled all their products off in. It knocked the locomotive out. And they had to a cranking crew up from Jackson to recrank the locomotive. And that was about the same time. It's just and left us that just happened with them. June 27th, 1947. Harold Dahl was on a conservation mission on the Puget Sound near the eastern shore of Washington's Maury Island, gathering logs, when he saw six donut-shaped obstacles hovering about a half a mile above his boat. Suddenly, one of them fell nearly 1,500 feet, followed by raining metallic debris, some of which hit Dahl's son Charles on his arm, as well as the family dog, who did not survive the ordeal. Dahl was able to take some pictures of the aircraft with his camera, which he later showed to his supervisor, Fred Crimsman. A skeptical Crimsman went back to the scene to look for himself and saw a strange aircraft with his own eyes. The next morning, Dahl was paid a visit by a man in a black suit. They ended up at a local diner where the man was able to recount in extraordinary detail what Dahl had just experienced. It was the first known encounter with the infamous Men in Black. July 7th, 1947. Flying saucer is reportedly recovered in Roswell, New Mexico. Just 19 days later, the Central Intelligence Agency is formed. And it came as a deputy sheriff. It came got me that night. The first spotted this one in 1977 to get my camera. I had bought to make a picture of it. Canon AE1. He won't talk about it now. If anybody asked him, he'll say, "No, I made that story up." Because he got so much flack from it. CIA got involved in it. This deputy now that I was talking about a while ago, how the government was. The CIA warned him not to. Uh, one of the national, I think it was the National Enquirer, offered him a bunch of money for his story. And they, they advised him, uh, no, they warned him not to uh, divulge it. And he asked the sheriff about it, and the sheriff said, well, I'll advise you to do what they say, but I'm not going to tell you to do what you want to. So they hushed things up like that. Dr. J. Allen Hynek, astrophysics professor and UFO skeptic. Dr. Hynek joined the Air Force's Project Blue Book in 1952, meant to provide rational explanations for UFOs. Dr. Hynek soon discovered that he could not deny the truth. He went on to become one of the key figures in ufology. A show about Dr. Hynek, entitled Project Blue Book, was even made by the History Channel. Uh, he didn't call me, he called the sheriff's office the next morning after the sighting, and I was in the sheriff's I, uh, I was a reserve deputy sheriff on the 
boss here. And I had a radio in the car, and I had gone to the sheriff's office. And the phone rang, and the sheriff answered the phone. And in a minute, he said, hold on, talk to this man. He was there, and he handed me the phone. And it was Dr. Heine. And you know, he was a, uh, he wrote Project Blue Book for the Air Force. And you get it and read it. Then he got so mad at the Air Force because they covered everything up. He, owned, he opened his own uh, paranormal research, UFO research. He investigated all of the major cases. And that's how he called me. I called the sheriff's office and then that's how I got on the phone. The sheriff answered and he said, just a minute, I'm going to let you talk to this fellow here. He was out there and he handed me the phone with a doctor behind And he's a scientist and, and he studies these things, the phenomenon uh, that's connected with them. And he asked me, started asking me questions. He said, are you are y'all around an atomic plant? I said, no, sir. He said, a military base. I said, no, sir. I said, we're out here in the country. I said, we're we're 20 miles from Jackson, and there's no no city. We're a small town. And he said, well, our theory is that these things, that, that magnetic lines come to Earth, just like radio waves. And he said that uh, our theory is that these things guide down on these lines to that point. And he said, what they do then out there, we don't know. And he said, we, we know that from what we found out all over the world, that they have somehow got the technology to harness uh, gravity. Like many UFO encounters, the lives of everyone involved were changed forever. The man now that spotted it won't talk to nobody about it. Now, he'll talk to me about it, and he's told me he's seen it since, but he won't tell nobody else. The deputy told me afterwards he's, he'll talk to me anytime, but he won't talk to nobody else. If I got somebody with me, he won't answer. Mr. Billy has returned to the area since this dramatic encounter. I've carried folks out there and showed them I hadn't been right to it, but I'll tell you something else that just came to my mind. That was in March, I believe, that year. Well, in July, cotton was up about waist high. I think it was July the 4th. I'm not sure, but it was around July the 4th. My brother-in-law owns a flying service, and we was flying in one of his planes, and I said, I want you to fly over where we saw that UFO, and we flew over it. And out there with the cotton, it was about waist high. And out there where we saw it, it was two round circles, 20 feet across. It wasn't a thing growing. It just as clean as your floor. This was not the last encounter for Mr. Billy and the people of the region. kind of a metallic blue looking. It didn't have the bright lights on it that you see off of the distance. And when you see it off at a distance, when I first saw it, and I've seen it since, it had red, orange, green, and blue as the as lights, and they kind of, they don't blink, they pulsate. You know, the difference between blinking is like an airplane. If you see a light blinking, that's an airplane. But if you see one pulsating, that's getting lighter and dimmer. 
then that's the kind of life they got on. The following spring, Mr. Billy told the story of two farmers being harassed by a UFO. It scared them so bad, they had to jump off the tractor and hide underneath. Now, one time since, I've seen another crowd that tailed, tailed me to the side down the highway coming across 433. Uh, that's been 20 years ago, and I could see the portholes in it. Why are there not more reported incidents? It's a sad commentary on today's society. 80% of the people don't ever look up. Grown-ups walk by my house all the time exercising, and guess what? Most of them have got a cell phone stuck in front of them. I'd like to say special thanks to all the unexplained ones for making our first year so amazing. We've had so much fun on this journey. We've made it up to the top 25 on the Science Podcast charts. We even got nominated for a Podcast People's Choice Award. On behalf of CJ and Smitty, thank you. You've been listening to All Things Unexplained. If you liked this podcast, please do give us a five-star rating and leave us a review. If you would like to hear more All Things Unexplained, be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Our show depends on the support of listeners like you. To help keep us going, please be sure to visit patreon.com backslash allthingsunexplained. Our Patreon patrons get early access to podcasts as well as exclusive audio and video clips. Or you can find us on Venmo under the business accounts. Just look for at BigfootUFO. Additionally, you can support us at buymeacoffee.com backslash unexplained. If you can't get enough of us, go ahead and check us out at allthings-unexplained.com. A special thanks to our producer, director, sound mixer, editor, and the man who wears far too many hats. No, seriously, he wears a lot of hats. Dr. Tim Mounts. Without you, we couldn't keep the lights on. Thanks for listening to All Things Unexplained. What would be your speculation for what you're seeing? An alien spacecraft.